Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us on this important podcast. Climate change, renewable energy, greenhouse gases, and sustainable energy. For some, these are just conversations people don't want to have. But listen, you can't bury your damn head in the sand on this topic. When you think about your business or in your personal life. Now, I'm not asking you to take a stand, but I'm asking you to listen. Now, if you listen to my show, you've heard my podcast a few weeks ago on active listening. That's what I want you to do today is actively listen to the conversation. I want you to educate yourself. I believe this is one of the biggest challenges we have as a people on this planet. And we have to think about the future. Not only the future for yourself, but your children, your children's children, your grandchildren, but frankly, everybody that walks this earth. So quit burying your head. Perk up those ears. Let's tune in because today I have an expert. Yes, I am an expert, but not in this subject. So I have an expert here today, Mark Brenner, Director of Renewable and Energy Efficient Services from Energy Experts International. And he's here today to explore this topic, to really bring it to the surface. And hopefully you're going to walk away, maybe as a convert, but I'm hopefully just to get you thinking. But don't go away. I'm going to do my best to help your business think about it. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. As I mentioned, I'm here with Mark Brenner, Director of Renewable Energy and Efficiency Services for the Energy Experts International. Mark, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Angelo. I am very, very glad to be here with you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. This is an interesting topic now. You know, it's in the news. It's in our lives. It's all around us. So I, so the conversation that I, I hope we'll have is about maybe we'll solve all the world's problems today, just you and I on this podcast. You think that's possible? <laughs> well, it, it, it is. Uh, it's an enviable uh, uh, task to go after, but... I'll tell you, even if we can just get one person to get a better understanding of what, you know, green energy is all about and how it can actually benefit society, then we're moving in the right direction. That's, you know, that's what I do. And uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to to discuss how that how, you know, our society, how the world can be better by embracing 21st century technology. Okay. Well, that's that's the goal then. So you listeners out there, that's our goal today is I want one of you, just one, to send us an email later on and tell us you've been a convert. 
Okay. So before we, we kind of get into this conversation, why don't we have, why don't you, not we, you, talk a little bit about you and your organization and the company and what you kind of do for on your day-to-day? Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, so uh, as Angela said, my name is Mark Brenner. I run uh, uh, a group for an international energy consulting firm called Energy Experts International. And uh, my group is focused specifically on energy cost reduction uh, for primarily commercial uh, businesses, but also we work with homeowners uh, in being able to reduce how much you're spending on your utility bill, make your home more energy efficient. And through that process, we're going to put money back in your pocket or at least keep it in your pocket. So you don't have to accept your utility bill as a fact of life. And through that process, you are actually going to make the environment a better place and the world a better place to live in. So what does that really boil down to? It, it comes down to educating business owners and homeowners on the opportunities that are available to uh, save money, uh, but also operate more efficiently uh, and uh, improve their bottom line cash flow. So that's really what we do. And we do it through a number of different ways. And we'll talk about those things. But, you know, my my background has been in energy since 1977. Uh, and um, I joined the company back in 2014 and have been running this group since then. So we can go into that later on. But that's sort of a very brief thumbnail kind of thing. Okay. Well, you said something I think is really important, and, and and I have it woven in my conversation today. But you said it, so I'm going to bring it to the forefront. It, it's for me, it's a lot about education. And you know, I'm a consumer. I have energy in my house. I have uh, my electric bill that comes every month, and sometimes it's inexpensive, and sometimes it's through the roof. Yet, frankly, as a consumer, it's a it's a change in my behavior to want to dig in, to be educated about the advantages of, of solar and other energy saving devices. So is that a, in your opinion, is that kind of the big obstacle is just education and getting people aware, not only aware, but understanding? Yeah. And you know, what typically becomes sort of the catalyst for a lot of people is you know, they suddenly will see their power bill and what may have been $150 last month is double this month. And they're not happy about it. And they're wondering, why is the bill like this? And then next thing you know, they're walking through Costco and they're exiting and there's a guy that's selling solar panels. And it's like, oh, well, maybe that's the solution. And so uh, it gets people thinking or people have been telemarketed to death on solar. And so the the education side is something that we focus a lot on when it comes to whether, as I said, either business owners or, or homeowners, because the their lexicon of information, what they have a good grasp on are things like LED light bulbs and solar and electric cars. And then after that, you know, then we go into another group that's a little bit more educated where they understand, you know, SEER ratings on how efficient an air air conditioning system needs to be, or that, you know, their windows are single pane and they should have double pane or they should have low, you know, a low uh, E 
uh, it's called low E uh, uh, rating for uh, the windows, or they need you know canopies or shading in order to prevent the sun from coming into the house. So all those are steps to, in that education process uh, for those that have swimming pools. Instead of having the old style pump, you can have a more energy efficient variable speed pump, which would, um, you know, one hour of that is equal to eight hours of a regular pool pump. So there's a lot of information that's out there that most people don't know, but it's so easy to get. So we want to educate. And just like you were asking, Angelo, you know, is it a question of, you know, where do we get the information? How do we get the information? What's relevant? What's irrelevant? How long do I have to spend understanding this stuff before I pull the trigger? And so those are those are the things that I think most people wrestle with because they don't want to spend the time because it's not necessarily that important. Now, if every month they were getting a bill that was three or four hundred dollars on their utility bill, uh, okay, now they're motivated. So it you know there's that tipping point that people will experience and they'll say, okay, wait a sec, I got to do something about this. What do I need to do? And hopefully someone will know who I am and they'll say, Mark, you need to talk to this guy. But that, you know, that's that's one at a time, right? It's it's that one-on-one where you can really move someone along. I and mean, we've had several conversations now. But it's not if you do one by one, you're going to you're going to the rest of your life well, you're going to be knocking on some it's a really slow process. Right. And so a lot of this gets down to the communications and and I think that you know when you think about where the emphasis has been on educating people about climate change. I'll use the broad term. I mean, it's really focused on governments and industries and technology and economic trends, blah, blah, blah. But it really gets down into how do you educate that consumer? Because they're the ones that are are also going to be pushing up to try to make a change, right? It's about a behavioral change in how they can adopt technologies to make their lives better. So there's there's kind of that gap and that disparity of, of how do you see that how do you, how do we close that gap? Well, I think that people uh, excellent question. I think that people really have to be more cognizant of what's going on around them. You know, people. You know, we're in Southern California, so for those that you know drive the highways and byways or driving through communities, they see solar panels all over the place, or they see. Uh, solar canopies that are being used for shading vehicles in their, when they're in a parking lot or at a school, or they see the wind turbines on the way out to Palm Springs or Palm Desert, uh, um, or, or even electric cars. People accept the fact that it's there, but they aren't thinking, maybe I need to embrace this. Now, if you look at what's going on just from the federal point of view, President Biden's got this huge plan for infrastructure. So, and I'm not going to start saying pro or con on any of that, but I will say that infrastructure, when it comes to electric vehicles or wind turbines or solar, is poor. And why is it poor? Because there isn't enough support from the federal government, from local governments, that are promoting the message of People need to embrace where we are. People that are in the positions, millennials are more open to this kind of thing, but those those people that are a little bit older, their 20th century thinking is not going to work for 20th, 21st century problems. And so 
when we we need to be able to say, look, the cost of electric vehicle, there are many entry points that are available, just like for solar. What used to be a seven to 10 year return on your investment for break even on solar is now four to five years for a homeowner. So a homeowner is saying, God, I hate having to pay this bill uh, and I'm planning to move in three or four years. Uh, so I might as well just suck it up. Well, if they got a quote, they'd probably find out that, you know, they're going to break even in four years. Maybe it's, it's not such a bad idea. So it's all about being able to go into the marketplace and spend a couple minutes on Google or wherever it is that you do your research and find out that what these opportunities are. It's the education process, how to get that mass market information. If the government is promoting something that requires more electric vehicle charging stations for more electric vehicles, every auto manufacturer in our country and foreign are producing numerous different models of electric vehicles. Why? Because they know that maybe, you know, short term, oil and gas is not going to go anywhere. But long term, we have to do something because the environment is suffering. So now if you look at the 30,000 foot level, you have to be able to take into consideration that our planet is suffering. And this is the only one that we got. So we have to do things that are going to improve our situation globally. And as it so happens, one of the things that can be done is let's consume less carbon and, and start utilizing resources that we have on Earth. Uh, just one final point. The whole idea of the electric grid, by using renewable energy, by employing solar, by employing electric vehicles, we're not draining from the grid. We are actually enhancing the capabilities of the, of the North American power grid. So if anything, we're making it a better, uh, more dynamic resource for everyone instead of less. So I'll, I'll stop there. I don't want to ramble. But. Okay. But no, it, it's, I love this. You know, we, we, you talked a lot about electric cars. I remember this was, I don't know how many years ago now, was uh, being brought in to talk to a company that was making uh, electric cars, charging stations. And you were talking about, you know, selling it to, to me, that, you know, about having an electric car. But, but part of the concern, I think, that was expressed is, and I think this has changed, so I'm out on the road and I'm driving and now I need a charge. Where, where am I going to get that charge? And so I know they were working on establishing um, uh, stations along a lot of the California highways. And I, and I think there's a big change. I think the electric is, is certainly there are more awareness and maybe that's because of Tesla, or, you know, but, but I'm not sure the adaptability is there. I think people are still a little indifferent to the story. Of, of, frankly, energy conservation in general, right? Until it, I believe, until it hits you in the pocketbook and it hits you hard in the pocketbook, I'm not sure people are, are, are you know, really tuning in and listening. I did a show a couple of weeks ago called Active Listening, and I and I think people don't actively listen when, when this conversation is going on. Well, you know, and you actually raise a really good point, and I'll, and I'll kind of touch on it. You and I have had a conversation about this briefly, but... You know, the dynamic times that we live in right now um, sort of put us in a position where, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies want to 
they they want to embrace and promote changes uh, if those corporations and the super wealthy have the backstop of government leading the way. Um, and honestly, if you think back to the time when President Kennedy was in office, you know, he he put out a goal. He put out a challenge to you know, the United States people. And he basically said, you know, we are going to go to the moon. And, you know, for lack of a better term, we'll call it a moonshot program. And it, it was it was a dynamic challenge. Uh, it's something which created a ton of new technologies that are being used today. Uh, and it was something that the entire United States or, you know, the world got behind because we as a country had a common goal. We're going to fly into space. We're going to land on the moon. We're going to come home safely. So the fact that that kind of, of sensibility existed then doesn't definitely applies to where we are today. Why can't we as a country get behind and understand that there are simple things that can be done in order to promote and move forward and aid ourselves, help ourselves in saving money, but also we're going to save the planet. So, you know, even President Obama, um, he backstopped Tesla with a $465 million investment loan. I mean, look at where, you know, you know, and that wasn't that long ago, but look where, where Tesla is today. So I would say that, you know, when the government is able to lead the way, the people should be paying attention to it and say, okay, maybe this is something I need to get behind. Well, you know, when we think about the United States, I won't even bring in the world, the United States, we're such, we're so polarized, right? Polarized right now that, if 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 one one side says left, the other side says right, and nobody's in between, and and so there's this constant pro and con of all this, and I don't, you know, and I, and I agree with you when the country rallied around Kennedy and and looking at landing on the moon, we don't seem to garner that same kind of enthusiasm and excitement on this topic, and I don't know if it's again back to that education and understanding and changing behavior and and that's what we'll talk about that that's about you know getting into marketing messages and and doing motivations and 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 that changing behavior but it is a top down and you, you know I, I that pros and cons that you didn't want to talk about i think we we have to talk about it a little bit because there again there's just polar opposites fighting with each other that are not rallying and you know whether it's oil and gas or whether it's coal and you know how people perceive it's going to impact jobs and, and economies versus the benefits in the long term that you've been talking about. So let's talk about that a little bit. And I'd love to hear your side of that. Well, I, my knee jerk reaction to that would be, and I think it's probably human nature, people don't react or people won't take action until the gun is actually put to their head. So being proactive as much as someone says, oh, yeah, I really love this and I'm embracing this, that represents a very small portion of society. And now that we live in a global economy, uh, we can't sit on our laurels and wait, you know, for a hole in the ozone to suddenly appear and then everyone scrambles. What can we do? How do we reduce greenhouse gases? What can be done next to, you know, stop this and plug that hole and fix the problem? You know, when stuff like that begins to happen, those problems are not going to go away. They're only going to increase. So the time to take action is now. So from a marketing, from a messaging point of view, 
I think that people just have to take the time to understand how am I being affected today by what's going on with energy? Am I consuming too much? Am I, am I not, you know, am I, do I have opportunities to, you know, improve my situation? And what is the ripple effect? Those kinds of questions are harder questions for people to ask because in most cases, they don't know what the questions are that should be asked. But that's where symposiums and, and, and conferences, those are good, but people don't take the time to do that because it's not you know, sort of in their, their purview of, of degrees of importance. So what the government is doing, what the, what the US federal government is doing now by trying to create a big program, 300 billion plus of spending on, on improving the number of charging stations and solar opportunities and 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 rebates and and those kinds of things uh, for uh, for a society, those will have a significant ripple effect. What where the common person, the the, the layman, um, the business owner, uh, they need to be proactive. Now I will say this: um, it's sort of being thrust upon us. The, uh, the rules within California, and these are rules that are changing across the country, all new home construction as of January 1st, 2020, has to be what's called zero net energy. In other words, whatever that home has been built for uh, size-wise, the amount of electricity that the people that will live in that home has to be offset by the amount of electricity that the home actually produces. So that home will have energy efficient windows, it's going to have uh, solar panels, it will have other things which will conserve energy. Converse uh, and on along the same lines in 2025, basically half of all federal government buildings in the state of California have to be converted to zero net energy. And by 2030, all new government building construction will be zero net energy. So we are being forced into a position, whether we like it or not, where we have to think about energy conservation and how best to use the resources that we have. So um, whether you want to be proactive or not, it's coming. So it's better to kind of get on the bandwagon now and take advantage of those situations rather than trying to play catch up at the end, just like if suddenly there's a hole in the ozone layer, what are we going to do? Well, if you had started 15 years earlier, you would know where you are and how you're going to deal with those kinds of problems. The You talked a lot about new homes, new construction. What about the, the retrofitting though? Somebody that's got a 30 year old home, are they gonna be imposed with the same kinds of requirements? And, and how do you retrofit that without, frankly, a great expense to the, right. I'll, I'll say the homeowner? Right, and so I get a lot of calls like that every day. And um, the, the easiest answer is this, no, you do not have to comply with rules that affect anything you know, as of 2020. But if you want to sell your home and the biggest proportion of buyers in the marketplace are millennials, they want the shiny, bright new toy. So if your home is a 1980s built home, but it doesn't have a lot of, you know, upgrades, uh, energy efficient upgrades, you know, you're going to be behind the eight ball. If, if the new home is a mile down the road or two miles down the road, someone's going to look at that and say, I'd rather live there than here. But you can put solar on it. You can get energy monitors that are attached to the main breaker panel that show you exactly how much electricity 
is being consumed by every circuit in the house. You can retrofit your windows. You can make sure that there are no leaky holes. When I say that, you know, areas around uh, uh, electric outlets and plumbing fixtures, uh, you can make sure you've got canopies for shading. So the house is cool. It's not using as much electricity. You put in um, uh, insulation uh, or uh, into the attic and, and if you want into the walls. I mean, you don't have to go and spend a bunch of money. The idea is, is that if you're able to take your power bill and even reduce it by a third or a quarter by where you are today, you're way ahead of the game. And now you can say, look, my home is green. And so it becomes a far more attractive opportunity for someone who wants to resell. And so that would, you know, it's the easiest answer I can give. It's going to cost some money. But just like TVs, big TVs that were thousands of dollars two or three years ago, they're now four or $500. The cost of doing business in this field is reducing all the time. It's becoming far more efficient, far more cost efficient to be able to improve your home with lighting. And it can be quite aesthetically pleasing by doing things like this. So mm -hmm. that's the answer. Yeah, I, I actually have my eyes on one of those 80-inch televisions that I'm trying to convince my wife to do. But uh, to your point, five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars for a television. But you know, her remodeling job to actually put it on the walls costing way too much. So <laughs> I'm going to sit on that one for a little while. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, you know, w when we talk about changing consumer behavior, right? That's it, and, and I tend to look at it starts with research and understanding the motivations, the, you know, the behaviors, the habits, you know, what drives people to change and, and that there's a lot of different areas, whether it's, you know, aligning messages with a consumer mindset or analyzing their beliefs and behaviors on a granular level. But without that information, it becomes very difficult as opposed to just putting messages out there versus whether it's, it's a segmentation analysis and you're, you're targeting a subset based on those behaviors. And, and to me, in, from a marketing standpoint, when we look at how do we message different different audience segments, is understanding what the motivations within each of those verticals to make those changes. Or are, and I, I'm not going to say the government, but companies like yours and others, are you really digging down into those kinds of nuances within consumer behavior to help try to educate and change? Yeah, let, let's start at the high level. Um, you know, our focus is working <clears throat> with you know commercial businesses, manufacturers, distributors, industrials, office building owners. Um, so for them, the motivation uh, is a penny saved is a penny earned. And everyone is in competition with each other. So if you look at a restaurant owner, uh, by improving the way that their, their cooler, their refrigerator, their freezer, their air conditioning, or even their lighting is working, could literally reduce their power bill by a third. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but if you've got, you know, a grocery store that's spending $30,000 a month in electricity and we can reduce that cost by a third, you know, that's $10,000 that they're going to save. That's $120,000 a year that can go towards improvements, employee salaries, insurance, whatever they want to use it for. But that puts them a step ahead of their competition. So motivating business owners, it's all about the almighty buck. I could talk until I'm blue in the face about you're saving X number of trees and the carbon level is reduced. 
but it does come down to the dollars. For a homeowner, until they feel the pain of you know that power bill, they will just blow it off and they won't pay attention to it. They may go and buy an electric car and they're definitely moving in the right direction. Uh, and um, the motivation, the, the degree of motivation for homeowners is not as great from a cost point of view, only because for most people, they just accept the fact that this is my power bill, this is the way life is gonna be. Where it becomes really interesting, Angelo, is when you've got communities like the one in um, up in Pacific Gas and Electric Territory is called Paradise, burned to the ground two years ago. And you know, if they had been able to cut off all electricity, but had the resources to be what we would call a microgrid community where they're energy self-sufficient, then you know they probably could have all been intact, supposing that you know the fire didn't you know ravage them. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, those kinds of situations is where a lot of the elect you know the energy efficient industry is trying to focus its efforts in trying to create that energy self-sufficiency. And you don't have to be at the end of the line in a forested community to become a microgrid. It can happen right in an urban area. Um, so that's where the industry is heading. It's heading towards energy self-sufficiency and uh, people will embrace it because if they don't have to pay a utility bill and they can pay one price and they are able to control their environment, I think that's what people will actually uh, be able to embrace because now they're in control of what's happening to them instead of someone else controlling what what's going on. Do you think that, um, you know, that I've, I've heard different stories when it comes to solar, I go back to the con general consumer, you know, the idea you get your rebates, you're going to generate enough uh, energy, you're going to sell it back to the grid, you're going to save all this money. And then people get disappointed. It didn't happen the way they thought. Maybe they didn't read the contract close enough. I mean, has, has solar gotten a bad rep, not necessarily because of solar, but because maybe the organizations that have been installing it? The short answer is yes. Um, when I first started in the industry, um, the there was at least 900 solar contractors in the state of California. It literally was the Wild West. And, you know, having said that, uh, there's a lot of what in the industry is called one truck Charlie's who would go out of their way to try to undercut anyone that was providing a quote just to be able to sell the equipment. The problem is that, you know, a homeowner would get a great deal, but invariably, you know, something would break a year or two down the road, uh, needed to be fixed or replaced. And the homeowner would phone the company that they dealt business with and the guy's gone. Uh, which then means that he's going to phone another company to come and try and help him. Uh, and back then, there weren't a lot of maintenance and operational companies uh, who supported or just worked with homeowners that were having you know, problems like that. And so uh, the, the, the other solar contractors were either too busy or they said they would, if they came out, they would not be held liable for any repairs that they provided to make the system work again. So if something else broke, that homeowner is going to call up that guy that came out to fix it. And the guy is going to say, look, I can't help you, man. Like this is this is a problem. And, you know, you're going to have to go somewhere else because I'm not going to be held liable for it. And we told you that. So it creates a level of frustration. So um, the industry has improved tremendously. And 
before people and 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 you you know I I think most most people who go out and they get a quote for whether it's solar or getting their home painted you know they get two or three quotes so no mm. matter what someone should do I would always encourage them to approach someone that's a professional that that's been recommended ask your neighbor if you've got solar who did you go to did you like it did you not like it get two or three quotes not just for the price but you're asking questions like were they reliable are they there to be able to be uh, um, uh, approached and talked with and and are they going to be able are they going are they survivable have they been around for a long time those are the kinds of questions that homeowners should be asking because that's what's going to sustain them through the period of having that solar and i will say as much as it may be difficult for people um, who get into lease uh, issues or power purchase agreements um, because that becomes an issue if they sell the home, if, 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 if the lease has not been paid out. Uh, one should always endeavor to try to buy the solar system that they're getting for their home rather than lease it, uh, only because simplicity of trying to sell the home afterwards is, is a key factor. And you don't want that solar array to become a question of escrow that has to be paid out at the end of the day. So better to deal with it up front uh, and find the means to pay for the system rather than lease it. Just okay. Good advice. Good advice. Let, let's go back to to let's say a manufacturing company, a business. Sure. Now, when you get you get a phone call, it, and so is your first step to do an assessment, and and what and if so, what does that entail? Right. So. When I get a phone call from a manufacturer, I'm going to spend an hour to an hour and a half uh, asking a lot of questions. I'm very Socratic uh, and I'm very uh, 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 holistic in the way that we approach. Uh, because we're a consulting firm, we don't have proprietary equipment that we're trying to sell the client. Uh, we don't have maintenance programs that we're trying to get the client hooked into. I want to use what they have on site. So if a client calls me and says, look, you know, I've got this problem. How do I deal with it? I'm going to go through, I want to understand how they're using electricity. I want to understand their business, but I want to understand how much they know about what I do and how I do it. And so by doing that, I'm walking them through a pretty long process. But in doing that, I'm now explaining to them what they can expect and possible solutions to deal with their problems. So at the end of the day, when we do put together a proposal, for whatever we think the biggest problems are and how we're going to address it, the client doesn't feel like he's being something's being rammed down his throat that he has to accept. He understands what's going to happen. And so that's what we do. And then we'll after that hour, if the client says we'd like to engage, you know, then we then I'll bring in my specialists uh, who will then help me assess the biggest issues that need to be addressed. Maybe it is solar, maybe. Maybe they need, maybe they get a lot of power surges in the property and they're, they're constantly losing power. And maybe they need something that can actually buffer those kinds of surges. Maybe it's, um, uh, it's a cooler, it's a, it's a business that actually keeps food frozen until it's taken to grocery stores and restaurants. And those coolers are using so much power. Uh, maybe it's one of those kinds of situations and, and we can definitely work with those kinds of things. So, you know, there's always nuances to whatever the situation is, but we will assess and we will give the client, you know, a lot of good opportunities to cherry pick whatever they want. And then from there, you know, we implement. So in a nutshell, that's what we do. Okay. You know, uh, we just spent uh, the last year 
in uh, in in uh, hibernation, I'll call it, because of the pandemic, and and minimized our our work efforts and going to offices and things like that. Now, COVID, uh, I in, in listening to you talk in other situations, has really kind of spawned kind of a new uh, new programs to help deal with the virus and internal within offices. And, and, and I, I, I have found that interesting when you talk about, it, and I think my listeners will find that interesting as well. So if you can kind of talk about that aspect of your business, that would be really great. Sure. Um, well, you know, like everyone else, and by the way, I still haven't seen my shadow after being indoors for, you know, for, uh, you know, 13 months. So I'm working on that. Uh, uh, you know, we pivoted a little bit, just like everyone else, because, you know, from our point of view, our business was trying to help clients, homeowners, uh, clients save money on electricity. But if there's no one in the building, uh, then the client is very, is not very motivated to start spending money on on implementing, you know, energy saving measures because there's no one there to that's going to benefit from it. So what we did is we felt that no matter what's going to happen with the pandemic, it's going to resolve itself. It's going to get resolved one way or the other. And whether, you know, office buildings become fully reoccupied or not, there will be a shift back to the central core. People are going to want to get out of their house. They're going to want to go back to office buildings or, you know, industrial situations. And, you know, the economy will continue to move in that direction. So what we did was we felt, how do we make the buildings, even homes, safer. And so um, technology, which people have probably heard of, it's called ultraviolet light. Uh, There are three bands. The A and the B band is what typically gives us sunburns or suntans. The C band is what kills all the germs and bacteria that's in the environment. And so there's a special emitter tube, we'll call it an emitter tube. It's, it, it, it kills all bacteria and fungus and mold that is being you know, that's running through an office building or even a home. And, but for an office building, there are these units that can be suspended from inside the ceiling for those office buildings or even uh, even in manufacturing situations that circulate the air through an ultraviolet uh, uh, setup so that every 15 minutes, the air is circulating for about 400 square feet, but it's killing COVID-19 as well, and we have papers on this, so that people that are occupying office spaces can be there and feel comfortable that they are not going to be infected by the air that's coming from the outside as it fits with the air from the inside. And so we are installing these in school districts, in office buildings, in manufacturing. We've put these kinds of things into homes, uh, into the AC and the, and the, and the furnace, furnaces for homeowners. Uh, and it creates a higher degree of comfort and safety. Uh, they're not expensive. And with these units that can be suspended from inside the false ceiling, uh, there's even FEMA rebates that are available for business owners. So there's lots of opportunity to embrace new technology. And this is proven technology. So it's not like it just showed up. It's been around for a while. But it now has significant relevance. And, you know, I will say to you, if I asked you this question, I'm interested in what your response is because uh, most people do not get it right, but it doesn't mean anything other than that, you know, it's something to think about. If I asked you, when is the most dangerous time to be in a room after it's been 
cleaned? You know, when do you think that might be? Boy, that's a, I would have no idea. I'd, I'd want to say immediately, but I think that answer is going to be wrong. <laughs> no, that actually is the right answer. Oh, okay. The it's the right answer is because the cleaning staff or, or the, the homeowner or the housekeeper, they've cleaned all the surfaces and they vacuumed the carpet and they've cleaned the floor. But everything that was there on those surfaces has now risen up into the air. And so when someone walks into a clean room, all that particulate matter that you can't see is now up in the air and it's slowly coming down. So having something which is cleaning the air as that's happening creates a much safer environment. So, you know, those are the things that people are unaware of just because, well, you know, they don't know. It's what I know because I have to pay attention to it. So from a technological point of view, utilizing what's available from an ultraviolet C-band point uh, uh, application is definitely, it's, it's advantageous, it's not expensive, units can be leased, and you know, I won't go into all that, but it, it is, uh, for what we are facing today, and according to experts, you know, this is not going to be the last time that we have some kind of, you know, major, you know, germ, germ infection that could cover the world. These are things that people will have to pay attention to and embrace. Yeah. Well, if we think back to the what's the last pandemic, 1918. Right. But, you know, we didn't have access to the world as the way we do now. And, and you know, hopping on a plane or whatever it happens to be, it's so easy now to to transport this. I, I, I sent you. Uh, so I was recently in Seattle and, and, and I I'm not sure we ever actually talked about this. So I was recently in Seattle and I went up into the Space Needle for the first time because my son was up there and he wanted to be a tourist. And to get into the actual needle, we had to walk through these arches and spin around three times. And there was ultraviolet lights in there. I assume exactly what you just described were right. killing any germs that were on us. I had never seen that anywhere else. Right. And it's, it's, it's technology which you're going to see more often, especially uh, in box stores. Perfect example, you know, whether it's a Sam's Club, it's a Costco, it's a Walmart, you know, they will close off sections of a store and they'll bring in ultraviolet light machines to disinfect aisles of all the material that's there. It doesn't affect anything, but it's getting rid of all those germs because everyone's walking through and touching and uh, people are sniffling and coughing and wheezing. It gets rid of all that. And so you're going to see a lot more of that kind of happening, whether you're walking into libraries or museums or 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 uh, uh, places. Uh, I would suspect that, you know, within a year, uh, depending on what's going on with COVID or, or any other disease, people going into uh, venues for entertainment, whether it's a concert or it's a football game or a baseball, they're going to get, you know, zapped in some way, whether they know it or not, that's going to kill you know, anything that's on them for at least that particular time. You know, that's the problem is, you know, it, it's good, but it doesn't last that long. So people need to be aware that, you know, employing technology, it's not the be all and end all, but it's better than what you've got right mm -hmm. now. What do you think the biggest challenge has been for, for you in, in growing your business? Well, we've talked about it. the biggest challenge, honestly, is being able to message to people how to be able to be more efficient. It's because it's not top of mind. It's not in their lexicon of, 
what they're doing on a daily basis. But if you think about it, if you think about it, if someone has the ability to go and you know buy you know 87 octane uh, gasoline, but they can also get 89 or 91, why are they going with the 87? Well, because they know their car can operate on 87, plus it's cheaper. Well, if you think about it, why would someone go and get solar for their home? Well, as you pointed out, you're going to save money. You get to be able to sell a little bit back to the utility. Uh, and you're helping the environment and you're not being as big a draw on the grid. Those are all positives. People don't think of it in those terms. We need to educate. So the biggest problem is messaging and educating in order to get people over that hurdle of not knowing. I don't want to call it ignorance because people aren't ignorant. It's just that they don't know. We have to get to the point of knowing. You know, uh, years back, I worked on uh, a household cleaner, a biodegradable, non-toxic household cleaner. I won't mention names. And when we were looking at messaging areas, we were looking at, you know, bio, uh, biodegradable, non-toxic, blah, 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 safe for the environment, da, 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 da. And so we were crafting our messaging and we made the assumption based on other research is that people would embrace this product and they did until it cost a dollar and nine cents more than Windex. Right. Then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I'm going to have to pay extra for all of this. I mean, is that, is that, I mean, it seems like there's, there's a, a return on investment that, you know, you could, you could claim the biodegradable non-toxic return on potentially your health. But, but again, is that return on investment? I just, it, I, I just can't figure out what is that, point of motivation that really drives somebody and i know we're well, kind of and that's this. why the federal government you know and i hate going back to solar but there are other there are other opportunities where the federal government or state government provide rebates uh and tax incentives uh tax credits because they want to incentivize the public to embrace this technology so you know the thing is for many years uh there was a federal tax credit on employing solar uh, or um, storage batteries, uh, which were not as, which were far more expensive than they are today. Uh, but there was, you know, a 30% federal tax credit on uh, being able to, you know, uh, embrace and uh, uh, install solar. Uh, now the thing is, which was, which most people didn't understand, is that maybe they needed a new roof. Maybe they needed to. Uh, install electric, you know, uh, LED lights. If all those things were done at the same time as the solar was being done, they could all be wrapped up into one bill and all of it could get the 30% federal tax credit. Just like today, because solar has kind of swept the nation, that 30%, because the government isn't feeling as generous, because, you know, there has been a lot of, of acceptance, you know, it's now dropped down to 26%. And it'll go to 22%. And then potentially the program could be cut off as far as incentivization from the government goes. But still, there are tremendous opportunities for people to be able to get uh, what's called a self-generation uh, rebate from the state to get the federal tax credit, which can be carried forward and carried back. The government wants us, the governments want us to do this. Um, people just under don't understand the messaging of it, which is, you know, comes back to your previous question. How do we get people to understand this? So, um, you know, it's, it's, 
there needs to be a bigger push from the federal government, um, maybe more money thrown at this. And I, people will say, how much money are we supposed to put at it? Well, I would say if the federal government cut back by a third the amount of rebates and incentives that they give to the oil and gas industry and put that money towards the renewable energy industry, people would suddenly wake up and see that the government is trying to lead the way and that this is, you know, this is important. So let's talk. And I know we're, we're coming down to the wire here, but uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up the, the Paris climate accord. Sure. And our entry back into that, is that, you, you in in the advantage first i mean i i you know personally i didn't agree with getting out of it in the first place but i i think that it makes sense for us to get back in and and what are some of the challenges from that on, on a global basis well you know as as i've mentioned as you've talked about you know we're in a global society we all have to be unified and united in what it is that we're doing to inhabit this planet so being part of the paris peace talks it puts us at least on the field to participate. If we're out on the outside looking in, uh, it's difficult to affect change. Everyone understands this. Um, and so, you know, there, there are many opportunities. You know, there are still issues. Let me put it this way. There's the Kyoto Protocol, which talks about carbon credits. Uh, and, and this is... There's a term that's called greenwashing. I don't want to get overly technical, but basically if a company is a big manufacturer and they've got a smokestack that's putting out tons of carbon uh, dioxide and noxious gases every day, um, with their resources, they're able to buy carbon credits so that from the government point of view, they're neutral. They're not doing anything that's affecting the government, the, the environment, uh, but they're still pumping out tons, you know, tons of ash and noxious gases and everything else. But from the paper point of view, they've bought these carbon credits from a company that could be halfway around the world. So obviously, this is detrimental to society. So those kinds of programs have to cease, no matter what. People have to actually become accountable. And big industry will say, well, you know, this is going to affect me. I got to do this and this. They have to find better ways to operate. And, you know, that's, that's why you have this variety of energy service companies and energy consultants like myself who are out there trying to help clients find a better way to continue to operate, but more efficiently, less pollutish, less pollution. Uh, uh, and, um, and, you know, that's, that's why, you know, being part of the Paris talks and, and, and uh, other uh, environmental um sustainable activities are important not just for united States, for everyone in the world everyone i mean china huge huge you know issues with them um same thing but if you look at what's going on with europe if you look at someone that's really you know embraced technology look at germany look at sweden look at you know scandinavia you know these are countries which you know to a great degree are almost 100 percent if they aren't 100 percent renewable how is it that they can do it and we can't? That's mm -hmm. the challenge that we face. Well, that's 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 why we're all a little bewildered of why we can't or the resistance to to why that is happening. Right. So a, a couple things we we talk a lot about electric, but let's talk about uh, hydrogen cars. Sure. Uh, a friend of mine just um, bought the new Toyota. I think it's called Mari or something. Mari. Like 
Mirai, and uh, he got his tax credits and things like that. He, you know, the card basically <laughs> costing him virtually nothing. Right. Um, it. it in, and he said there's a uh, he lives in uh, San Juan. He said there's a hard hydrogen station down there, and I guess they gave him a map and where some are. Is this kind of a going to we going to see more and more car companies coming out with hydrogen? Yes, but the problem is is that it's not as well uh, supported. Um, first of all, infrastructure. If you thought infrastructure for electric vehicles was bad, uh, for hydrogen it's even worse. Um, and it has to do with, you know, how many miles are you going to be able to go and where am I going to be able to get filled up? So the number of hydrogen filling stations are nominal. If you're living in an area where you know you're not going to drive from north to south of the state or east to west, you're probably good to go. But, you know, if you sort of leave that, that safety zone. All right, go ahead. We're talking about hydrogen cars. Right. So hydrogen cars. So the infrastructure is bad. Um, they are slowly coming into acceptance. Um, what's called, it's really called uh, blue methane. Uh, and blue methane is hydrogen that's extracted from methane gas. The chemical formula of methane gas is CH4. And hydrogen, as everyone knows, is H2. Uh, so fuel cell technology, that's what it's really called, is fuel cell technology. This has actually been very um, uh, heavily uh, accepted uh, and used uh, for fleet vehicles. So, especially in Europe and overseas. Um, so I think we will see a bigger push from the fleet point of view because these, you know, the tanks that are required for hydrogen, you know, they're a little more cumbersome and the car needs to have a bigger space versus, you know, an electric vehicle. So, cause it's just batteries. There's nothing else in the car. Um, so, uh, and people I think are a little leery about hydrogen, you know, Hindenburg and everything else. So um, there's there's that mental hurdle uh, that has to be sort of gotten over. Uh, but if you can prove here domestically in North America that, you know, hydrogen fueled vehicles uh, can run as efficiently, if not more so, um, uh, because it's easy to produce, literally it's, 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 it's probably as good a technology, if not better, than, than electric vehicles. It's just there's some mental hurdles to get over. But it will get there. But, you know, infrastructure is not as great. Um, but there are, you know, pe auto manufacturers are not only talking about, you know, lower price points for vehicles, uh, but they're talking about not just rebates, but refundable rebates. So you... You know, you pay something, you get something back from the government, and then there's something else that's given back to you, uh, which is why the Mirai is such an attractive vehicle. Basically, you can get it, cost you nothing to, you know, to do so. And that's, those are the kinds of programs which I think will be forthcoming more and more. Hydrogen is there, electricity, electric vehicles are going to lead the way for sure. This has been, uh, been a really a terrific conversation, very educational and um a lot of information. We put the stake in the ground for education, the challenge to the, to the audience. We only need to convert one person to make this podcast a success. Just one. But my last question to you is this, and I think I know the answer, but I'm going to make you say it anyway. What inspires you every day? What gets you out of bed? I love the challenge because every day is a new day, but honestly, I got into this industry 
because for many years I'd been in the oil and gas industry and, you know, I was making money based on a non-renewable resource. Once I had children uh, back at, at, at the turn of the, uh, the century, it was important to me that I did something that I not only could be proud of, but my children would be proud of. And so my motivation every day is not only to help my fellow man and, and business owner and homeowner in being able to, you know, uh, find a, a more efficient way to live uh, from a power point of view, but also to give my children a legacy so they and their children and their, and their grandchildren have a planet that they can live on uh, that's going to be there for them two, three, five generations from now. So that's my motivation. It's simplistic, but nevertheless, that's it. I love it. I love it. You know, I, we all need to have that because it is about, I mean, I have children and I want to leave a better place for them and and think about uh, someday I won't be here and, and they will and their children and children. You know, I think uh, we always have to play it forward. Do we ever talk about the fact that I was in the oil and gas industry too? No, we've never talked about that. Yeah, I, I worked for, uh, I worked my, so I worked Fortune 500 company with Smith International, which was a oil tool company. And, and so I, so from an advertising agency standpoint, I worked with all the divisions I worked with the, the Smith tools, so the drill bits, the the production valves, the downhole mud motors, drill co with the drill pipe, and 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 I was involved in that industry for about five or six years, and then I went client side and actually went to the agency. I mean, the client and became the international product manager. And I used to track rig counts around the world. That was one of my jobs. So yeah, that was a really interesting and and fun. I, I enjoyed. That was a lot of fun. I actually. There was a, and I don't know if you remember this, there was a, a drilling choke called SWATCO. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my company, Willis, wanted to get into the drilling choke industry. And I spent six months traveling around, going back out to customers. We were developing a new product. So I'd go out with, a, we have a concept. What do you think? And then I go back with blueprints. What do you think? Then I'd go back out with materials. What do you think of this material? Well, that'll rust on the on the rig, blah, blah, blah. And I went back and forth to finally we said, here it is. And, you know, we started getting orders and and the um, company was doing really well. I mean, we, we got about, I don't know, 20% market share. We, except for SWATCO, we were getting other folks out and we were starting to move on them. Then I left the company. About a year or so ago, I was doing a presentation and I was and I was trying to look at kind of my product development. I've worked on ski boots and all sorts of stuff, but I, that kind of popped in my head. So I went back and started doing research in time. The, 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 the Willis choke actually started infringing on SWATCO and SWATCO bought them. <laughs> so they ended up buying, you know, the, the product to basically get rid of their competition. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But yeah, that was fun. I worked on Barco International and all sorts of. Tools. Cool. Some great stories. The, the oil and gas industry has gone through so many different stages, but uh, I'd love to be able to swap tails with you. Yeah, we'll have to do that uh, on another podcast. Well, Mark, this has been fantastic. Why don't you tell the audience how they can reach you, learn more about your business, your company? Yeah, so thank you. Um, so again, uh, the best way to contact me, uh, my office number is area code 949 365 5823. Uh, the company is called Energy Experts International. The website is ee 
I N as in Norman T L dot com. And my email address is M as in Mark Brenner, B R E N E R at E E I N T L dot com. I'm glad to talk to you. I'd love to answer questions. Give me a call or an email. I'm always available and uh, I don't have anywhere to be other than in my home. So I'm, 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 I'm here. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I really, really enjoy this. Mark, thank you again for joining us at the cafe today. This was an absolutely incredible conversation. And I know we just scratched the surface. And I'm glad you gave everybody your contact information because I'm sure there's a lot of questions. And I hope people will take advantage to reach out to you or frankly just get on the internet, Google. That's what I tell everybody to do. Google it first to learn about this subject and maybe to take action, right? We can all sit back and relax and just somebody else will take care of it. Well, get off your butt. It's time you take care of it as well. So again, thank you for joining me here today. Now, if your business is not growing as planned because of market conditions, competition, or your message is just not resonating for any reason your business has been impacted, you stalled your growth, or you're thinking about an exit strategy, or frankly, you just want to drive up the value of your organization, connect with me to find out my fractional interim and consulting services, or visit theponzigroup.com. Have a variety of resources there, blogs, videos, ebooks, and you can certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber to the show, thank you very much. And I encourage you to tell others about the show. And if you're new to the show, please subscribe. We have a lot of great content on this. I'm in my third year, so I have a lot of episodes you can backtrack, frankly, listen to all weekend, grab some popcorn, sit back and relax. You're going to learn a lot. Right. This is a business advice show, but there's a lot of other topics and conversations. And frankly, we have a lot of fun. You can visit the businessgrowthcafe.com or you, you can subscribe on any major podcast platform. I am everywhere. And please join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.